Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Natalie Callender from the University of Wisconsin, US, and Shaji Kumar of Mayo Clinic, Rochester, US. I'm Natalie Callender. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, today, what we're going to talk about is just additions to the NCCN guidelines for the management and treatment of multiple myeloma. So I'm going to ask uh, my colleague, Dr. Kumar, to talk a little bit about what was added this year in terms of myeloma evaluation and workup. So over the years, uh, especially since the new diagnostic criteria came out for myeloma, there have been a renewed focus on making that distinction between the precursor phase of smoldering myeloma and multiple myeloma. So some of the changes that have happened uh, over the recent years has been the stress on the use of uh, more advanced imaging, particularly the use of whole body low-dose CT scan and the utility of PET scan uh, for at the time of diagnosis. And we have also included all the elements that are required for the staging and again, stressed on the need for fish testing in all patients with multiple myeloma. As it is an important part of the risk stratification in this disease. As we all know, it's quite heterogeneous in terms of its outcome. And um, in addition to incorporating the, um, the essential elements of the IMWG um, diagnostic criteria, we have also expanded on that precursor phase, particularly the diagnosis and workup of patients with monoclonal gammopathy of renal significance and clinical significance. Um, so those, both those um, diagnostic um, buckets, so to speak, have been expanding in the recent years as we have identified more pathologies that are linked to the underlying monoclonal process. And we also um, have expanded on the approach to workup of renal insufficiency in patients with multiple myeloma, providing more clarity in terms of the utility of biopsy as well as the other testing that needs to be done. Now, obviously, all these changes in terms of the diagnostic criteria, um, particularly the diagnosis of multiple myeloma, which is active disease, is going to be critical from a day-to-day -day practice. So Natalie, maybe you can now uh, talk about the changes we have introduced for the newly diagnosed myeloma. There have been quite a bit of changes there too. Yeah, we have, a, a, there, there's just been a, a plethora of drugs uh, approved in the last five years for multiple myeloma. And I think we struggle a little bit in terms of these guidelines about how quickly we want to add new regimens. Um, some of the new ones that we put in include things like daratumumab in combination with bortezomib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone. Um, many people might be familiar with the Griffin trial, which showed a very good response rate to this combination, but also good safety results too. So that's been added as a regimen. And then we added a, a couple of other regimens. Um, we, it, it, we moved carfilzomib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone as an option for newly diagnosed uh, patients uh, based on some uh, pretty exciting phase two results. We also included cyclophosphamide with carfilzomib and dexamethasone for patients who have peripheral neuropathy and renal insufficiency as another type of regimen. Um, bortezomib, thalidomide, and dexamethasone is there. Um, uh, that drug with daratumab will probably be uh, a choice that will maybe not be seen too much here in the United States, but certainly in other parts of the world. Um, and those are just some of the few, I think, in the newly diagnosed arena, which, have, which are really great. What about uh, some of the changes for relapse disease? 
yeah, the relapse field has been changing dramatically, especially with all the new drugs that are coming up. So we have um, revised or refreshed the list of uh, regimens that have uh, that are currently uh, in use for relapse disease. Again, focusing on some of the phase three data to um, again select the more preferred regimens, but also leaving the option for some of the other combinations in the uh, other other regimens as well as in regimens that may be utilized in special situations. Now, the, the phase three trials are universally shown that the, the triplets are better than using doublets in the relapse setting. Um, and so many triplets that have used a combination of either a proteasome inhibitor, an immunomodulatory drug, or a monoclonal antibody, any two of these three uh, drug cat categories or classes um, are now available uh, within the um, preferred regimens for relapse disease. And in the um, other regimens, we have included some of the newer drugs, and particularly in certain, prefer, uh, certain uh, uh, situations. Um, and these include um, the uh, Selinexor, which is again a nuclear transport protein inhibitor. It's a new class of drug for myeloma. Uh, we have included Belantamab mofidotin, which is again a novel monoclonal antibody that is an antibody drug conjugate targeting BCMA. And this is the first drug in the, in the clinic uh, to target BCMA, which again is an excellent target in this disease. And most recently, we also added melflufen, um, and which is again a melflan, um, modified melflan, which actually allows it to be targeted more specifically to the cancer cells. So we have uh, essentially modified the whole list of options by stressing on the use of triplets, but also incorporating some of the newer drugs. Now, obviously, some of these newer drugs have also gone into the other uh, related plasma cell disorders, and we have updated the amyloid guidelines. Natalie, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, this is a very important update uh, because there it's been hard, as, as probably everybody knows, to have large randomized trials conducted in amyloidosis because it's, it's a difficult population. So the Andromeda trial has really, uh, probably I think we would put that in the category of practice changing. So this is a large randomized study of almost 400 patients uh, receiving either bortezomib, cyclophosphamide and dexamethasone for six cycles up front or that same combination along with subcutaneous daratumumab. And then the daratumumab was continued as a maintenance drug for up to two years. And in um, this particular trial showed a major difference in terms of progression-free survival over uh, the uh, bortezomib arm alone, and also showed some very impressive response improvements in terms of renal function and also cardiac marker improvement. So this is really putting, we, we have moved this up to a, a category one recommendation for amyloidosis. And I think that's one of the, really one of the first times in years that we've had been able to say something like that in amyloidosis, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think we have uh, made a lot of changes in the guidelines in, in addition to the diagnosis and the specific therapies. I think we have, there have been a lot of stress on trying to encompass the entire spectrum of plasma cell disorders. We added uh, some additional workup for Boehm syndrome, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which again highlights the, uh, um, the, you know, the, the spectrum of disorders we see within the plasma cell uh, uh, disorders. Um, and again, um, Natalie, I think the goal uh, for the guidelines have been to make sure there's some guidance in all different aspects of the disease management. Um, maybe you want to speak to a little bit in terms of, you know, again, the, the focus on the use of stem cell transplant for this disease. 
uh, for uh, uh, for poems or for myeloma yeah. and in general. Yes. Yeah. So I think that that we are still giving a strong recommendation for the consideration of autologous stem cell transplant for um, for multiple myeloma as well as amyloidosis uh, and uh, even for that matter for poems. Um, there, this is going to be an area that's going to be, I think somewhat increasingly controversial probably over time as we have these choices that are really producing very deep responses. Um, one other drug update uh, to mention is that we um, uh, will sub feel that the substitution of subcutaneous daratumumab in any of these regimens is, is acceptable and, and perhaps desirable for patient convenience. So that's been added too. Um, but I think we're just waiting to see if in the next run, round of updates that we're now recommending quadruplet regimens for everybody uh, rather than just triplets. But uh, I think it's, it's, very, it's very much an exciting time with all the different options that we have. I think there still is going to be a little bit of uh, difficulty trying to pick the appropriate regimens maybe after a, a first relapse. I think we have some very good choices there. There still is a very long list in our guidelines. Um, in terms of making choices for people, um, I think this is something that, that Shaji uh, and I can both speak to. Um, one of the things that we try to look at when we're making those decisions about treating people with relapsed myeloma is what are the, um, what really kind of relapse do they have? So some people like to look at if a person has sort of a, what we might call a biochemical progression where it's just labs showing an increase in, in protein levels versus somebody who really has some symptoms such as perhaps a new bone event or um, uh, re uh, renal insufficiency that's appeared. And sometimes we, we feel that the aggressiveness of what should be done can influence your decision about relapse treatment. I don't know, Shaji, if you have some opinions about that as well. Yeah, no, it's certainly becoming a challenging area for uh, choosing therapies for the relapse disease. And I think, you know, the NCCN serves the dual purpose of, again, providing some degree of guidance, but also making sure all the available options are there especially when used for reimbursement purposes. And I think also in addition to the therapies, we also have, you know, in a, and also the diagnostic workup, we have included um, the sequencing approaches because we know the, um, the presence of mutations can be of value in this disease. And we also know the minimal residual disease testing has become an area of great interest in this disease. And we have included that also as part of the uh, testing that may be useful in certain circumstances. Right, so I think uh, um, uh, we are very happy to have some of the newer drugs that Shaji mentioned, such as uh, melflufen. Uh, we also added uh, some Selenexer combinations. So Selenexer had been approved um, about a year and a half ago just with dexamethasone, but we've included some regimens uh, such as uh, Selenexer with bortezomib, Selenexer with pomalidomide. Um, I think we're just going to be seeing more and more of that uh, uh, motif go on uh, as as time as time continues. Um, we still do have an option in relapse disease for consideration of a second autologous stem cell transplant in there, um, but uh, I think we're still really interested in making sure that people think about a triplet in a relapse disease as as perhaps one of the best interventions that we know of at this point. So yeah, the, so the guidelines continue to evolve as uh, we make progress in this disease, both in terms of workup of these patients, um, differential diagnosis, um, and more and most importantly, providing um, a choice of options for treating this, you know, in patients at various relapses as well as in the newly diagnosed setting. 
Let's talk a little bit about smoldering myeloma because we, we did make a few changes there. Um, one of the additions that we made was to include work really coming from your, uh, your institution, uh, the 20 to 20 uh, guidelines for se separating out patients with smoldering myeloma who might be at higher risk for progression. You wanna talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, so I think um, the, the smoldering myeloma you know, field is rapidly changing because we are in, in, you know, kind of embracing that option of early intervention based on some of those phase three trials, but clearly a lot of questions still need to be answered. And the revised um, risk stratification essentially allows us to identify those patients where we can um, enroll them on clinical trials, looking at the whole concept of early intervention and seeing whether we can really cure this disease by that approach. And obviously you're leading the important phase three trial uh, in the US, uh, looking at a three drug versus two drug combination uh, for this uh, for the state of the disease. Yeah, I think that, that we're one of the things that the panelists did consider is whether we're at the point in terms of smoldering myeloma to actually consider giving a recommendation to treat patients outside of a clinical trial. I think we all still would prefer always the option of a clinical trial for patients with smoldering myeloma. And we have pretty good data now that patients who get categorized as low risk smoldering myeloma probably shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be treated off, off a protocol. I think there is a, a sliver of patients who, for, if for whatever reason, they have very high risk smoldering myeloma and they can't access a, a, a clinical trial that we would give a recommendation for consideration of intervention with lenalidomide that probably has the strongest data out there right now. Thank you, Natalie. I think uh, that was uh, a good discussion on the current guideline um, updates. Thank you for listening to the Multiple Myeloma Hub podcast. We would also like to thank our supporters, Sanofi, AbbVie, Bristol Myers Squibb, Genentech, GSK, Roche, and Amgen. Multiple Myeloma Hub podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.